0: Holy, holy, totally think you doodle. We were terrible. I'm still one. I love it. Honey, lad. Let's go again. Who paid for the nachos? No rain, no
1: wind, nor snow classico. morning the high line with rabbi and red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads with questions from you. Rapids fans, you are listening to a Rapids 101 special episode of Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. It is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. My name is Matt Pollard. Rexham are unfortunately out of the FA Cup. Jesse Marsh is out of a job and possibly could be interviewing for the United States men's national team. And at Man City, apparently, Rabbi, have been very naughty, naughty. We knew it all the time, but apparently now it's official. Rabbi Mark Goodman, how are you this evening, my friend and co-host?
0: I'm great, my friend and co-host, Matt Pollard. And if we sound like we're trying extra hard to provide Basic information for folks like our names and our nicknames and our Twitter handles at LWOS underscore Matt Pollard. Wait, no underscore. It's regular at LWOS Matt Pollard at soccer underscore rabbi. That's because we're uh, doing a special episode today that's really intended for brand new folks to either the Colorado Rapids or Major League Soccer or to be honest, soccer in general. Um, If you live in the Denver metropolitan area, the state of Colorado, or you're an MLS uh, noob and you want to jump on that bandwagon and learn about the best team in all of Major League Soccer, the Colorado Rapids, this is a special episode just for you. Before we get to that, we're going to talk about what's going on this week in soccer for our regular listeners so they have some fun stuff to talk about, Matt. Um, I want to start by by uh, lamenting the, the Wrexham game. I caught that one this afternoon. Tuesday's my day off because I'm a rabbi, so I work a six-day week, which includes Saturdays and Sundays. Um, it was kind of to be expected, right? They, they just kind of fell apart at the end. They looked tired. Um, and I love the comment that the commentator was making that as a National League side from the fifth tier in England playing against Sheffield United, who are um, currently poised in second in the championship, ready to go up to uh the english premier league they were 77 places below sheffield united in in this match this was kind of a, a battle of of uh, david and goliath and unfortunately david got squished
1: yeah well said on that front mark disappointing certainly they were a fun story i am still Ra- rabbi i am so excited for whichever episodes in season two of Welcome to Wrexham ultimately cover the FA Cup. I think hopefully this is a fun side quest that they'll talk about for one or two episodes and what is hopefully ultimately a climactic and successful finale in ways that obviously the second Season of Sunderland till I die was just gut wrenching and pear shaped in all of the um, all the bad ways. But Mark, other things to talk about. Um, you know, a, another unsuccessful stint for an American head coach in the English Premiership. As it was confirmed that Jesse Marsh is out at Leeds United. Leeds losing one nil over the weekend to Nottingham Forest. A four straight game in which you could argue, from a play standpoint, they played the better soccer. They had the better of the chances in. Typical American soccer standards, uh, XG merchants, but ultimately don't get the result and this happens in Weston McKinney's debut from his loan coming over from Juventus and now I think it's a valid question where does Leeds go from here obviously Sean Dice is off the market do they bring in Big Sam how do they Leeds is still very clearly dealing with their identity and how they want to match what they did under Marcelo Bielsa and then actually being a stable Premier League club given where they are in the spending hierarchy currently 17th at the table currently 17th in terms of player wages how funny how that matches in. Um, Mark, Jesse did a lot of really good things going into uh, last season in terms of keeping them up. I think he was too open at times. I think he leaned into being American too much at times, which I don't think was his downfall, but he didn't make any friends in the room with some of the ways that he handled it. It wasn't full-on Bob Bradley saying soccer and refusing to call it football or anything like that, but I think that was problematic for him. Fundamentally, this was a Results business, and I think this was I can understand the decision. What I don't get is the timing of the decision given how they spent in January, and given they spent a bunch of money to bring in players that fit in with Jesse Marsh. I assume then they have to bring in somebody that's going to focus on them pressing and trying to be a team of chaos and everything. I don't see how that improves their chances for them to actually stay up. Sad for Jesse Marsh. I think he very easily could get a job before the start of the next European season somewhere in Europe. I don't think it will be at one of the big five clubs. I think that he will be, I think that someone will contact him about being the head coach of the U.S. national team. I am concerned, given how he handled things at Red Bull and how that ended given how they were kind of pivoting away from, uh, from the pressing style and given how he ultimately was maybe forced into things that leads my first question, if I were Cindy Parlow Cone or someone else interviewing him of, are you too married to your style of play? Can you massage that to the talent that you have and other situations in ways that I don't think Greg Berhalter did a good job of in ways that I think is necessary for us to take a next leap up from a national team standpoint. Um, right. Uh, Rabbi, y- your thoughts on Jesse Marsh's time in the Premiership? What this means for Leeds USA to the extent that it's still going to exist? Should they go? Should they get relegated? And what's next for Jesse Marsh? Is it the United States as national team?
0: I mean, I'm grading on a curve, so this is going to sound uh, a little bit like um, you know, t- too too easy going on him. But he lasted a lot longer than Bob Bradley at Swansea, right? Um, Bradley famously lasted, I don't remember, was it four matches? Was it eight? It was
1: like really, I think it was like 74 days or something like that.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, it was like a, uh, it was, it was like a Scaramucci. It was, it was not, it was pretty, pretty short. Um, although, you know, if we, if you're ever listening, if you're listening to this podcast in the year 2035, you're going to have to Google what a Scaramucci is because it will be, have X, it will be excised from your memory (laughs) hole by then. Um, you know, Struggling in the Premier League it for it is a thing that happens to really good man uh, managers. Uh, Jose Mourinho famously fired twice from the league. Um, currently, Jurgen Klopp, if you saw his interview this week, um, he got really testy with a reporter who apparently wrote something he didn't particularly appreciate or agree with. And he literally said, anyone else in the room can ask the same question. I'm not answering it from this guy. Um, and that's, I think, not because... Uh, Klopp is a bad guy I think it's because Klopp is in 10th with Liverpool um, one of the you know highest spending best teams in the league Uh, and then you've got other teams in the league like Manchester City who um, Pep Guardiola is gonna spend the rest of the season trying to he's gonna spend four weeks trying to straighten out the chaos which we'll get to in a second but like struggling managers in the premiership is is not a new thing and it's it's normal so i i put um jesse marsh kind of in a rarefied air that he lived at the top of the mountain for half a premier league season uh which is pretty much longer i think than almost any american manager in history he accomplished a lot of things um he played his style he he de- he definitely, I agree with you, Matt. Um, didn't seem to adapt a lot. I only caught a couple of Leeds games, but the the modus vivendi, the the overall kind of oeuvre of the of the team was a lot like the USMNT, which is we play fast, we play loose, it's a little chaotic. We're gonna bomb at you. We're gonna we're gonna really you know like come at you uh, from all sides. Uh, but we're also really capable of losing the ball in a really you know uh, bad spot or looking a little bit sloppy when it doesn't quite come together. So, and I think that's also a function of having a, a kind of a younger team, uh, guys like Brendan Aronson you know, running the point for the team, and and I think that that kind of plays out that way. So, um, I I think will he end up with the USMNT? I hope so. I really like Jesse Marsh. I think he's a great coach. Um, but I'm also kind of a fanboy stand for. An American coach for the American team, I really don't love the idea of bringing in a foreign coach um you know I think Americans a lot of Americans have been saying like oh, we just had an American coach it's time to bring back a foreign coach and my response to that is, do you not remember Jurgen Klinsman does anybody not I mean Klinsman you know lived in California at the time, but you know he's German like he 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 thinks like a German coach and so i I just don't think that um, American players and foreign-born coaches are necessarily going to work. That being said, it's not impossible. It could work. I'm just not thrilled with what's out there. You know, I mentioned Mourinho. You mentioned Deitch uh, being off the board, but, you know, uh, Fat Sam as being an option. uh, You know, he's not really a national team coach, but, like, the guys who are out there at national team coach level, um, you have to start getting creative. Uh, but, you know, I personally would prefer Marsh over all of them.
1: Moving on, Mark, the other big news that we saw in the soccering world was uh, the Premier League and the English FA coming out and... Uh, making accusations, uh, implying an investigation that will go into uh, Manchester City regarding more than 100 breaches of the financial rules set out in the um, in the financial fair play rules. This uh, allegedly took place between 2009 and 2018, the modern era of Manchester City, the era of them being a super club in the English Premiership as well. Man City are surprised. They think there's a bunch of irrefutable evidence. Uh, they went uh, a number of years ago to the Court of Arbitration, uh with UEFA and ultimately came out and had uh and ultimately were vindicated in terms of how the results and that ended up happening um Mark I I have to think like Financial fair play is completely off the rails. It's been dead. And the only way to remotely save it from an English Premiership side, especially given the window that we just had where a number of English Premier League teams spent more than all of the teams in France and Germany and Italy combined to say nothing of obviously what's happening at Chelsea. And so I have to wonder if this is the FA trying to rein this in and actually stamp this out or the Premier League being like, don't investigate us because we're investigating the one that we all knew has been breaking the most rules all the time. It's all funny money. Who cares? Oil states, super teams. Yay. I don't know what's going to happen, Mark. I'm not sure what's happening. I I increasingly feel now that – I feel like in the last three months with what Newcastle's done – In Premier League circles, as opposed to calling it the – it went from – in four months, it's gone from the Big Six to the Big Six plus Newcastle to the Big Seven. Obviously, Mark, unless there's a weird situation in terms of the FA Cup and everything, it is impossible for more than seven teams to get into European competition via the Premier League. And so I have to think inevitably those teams have to think they have enough money and sway and power – ...to ultimately lawyer their way into the Super League existing... But, you know, Mark, I think this brings val- validity finally into question of I th- what we I think we all knew and suspected that was actually happening. And I think it's a valid question where we go from here in terms of the uh, various possible punishments that could exist. I do not think that, uh, that Man City is going to be expelled from the English Football League and like sent to the fifth division or like flat out kicked out, like banned from playing soccer. Um, I do think a fine is possible. I think a points deduction obviously would be massive for them financially, especially if they're going to be under further scrutiny that could potentially take them out of competition for Europe, to say nothing of the fact that it would be effectively awarding this year's Premier League title to Arsenal, I think, despite the results over the past weekend. And I also have to think, like, you know, given Pep Guardiola's statements, he said recently that he'd be out if he felt that he was ever lied to by Man City. Is this an argument for him to walk and basically get whatever job he wants anywhere in the world? Should the U.S. national team be calling Pep Guardiola? I think that's a valid question. Um, And also this is happening in the midst of kind of the team undergoing significant changes, a couple key departures and sudden ones during the uh during the january transfer window kevin de Bruyne was sit sat on the bench he has looked to shell of himself since the world cup mark where is he going from his career and all this happening is erling holland thinking yes i'm making my big money move i'm gonna go win a bunch of trophies and i'm potentially at a team that is gonna have to go through a five-year rebuild because it finally got caught with its hand in the cookie jar
0: yeah uh a lot of words. Uh, I agree with a lot of things. I want to step back and and, and pull apart one thing you said, because you said it in a very good way, but you said it in a shorthand way that we need to kind of step back and talk about a little bit. You talked about financial fair play being broken and you talked about the Super League and you talked about the oligarchs and the Qatari billionaires um, kind of all in one swell foop. And I think we just need to step back and explain, based on all the reading you and I do and all of the podcasting you and I listen to, um, like what we're talking about when we talk about the English Premier League and financial fair, FIFA Financial Fair Play being broken. The system, the way, Amer- the way world soccer is set up right now is this, and particularly European soccer. In order to get in, in order to make money as a team, you really need to get into the Champions League. In order to get into the Champions League, you have to spend an obscene amount of money to buy the best players in the world. But if you don't get into the Champions League by spending the obscene amount, when you spend the obscene amount of money, then you're going to take a huge loss in the coming year. And if you take a huge loss in the coming year, that's just going to hit your books in a really bad way. And that falls into a category that Matt mentioned called FIFA Financial Fair Play. And the basic idea of FIFA Financial Fair Play is you need to spend roughly what you take in as a team. So if you bring in $100 million in TV revenue and Champions League revenue um, and league revenue and another 100 million in advertising and another 100 million at the at the gate um, in, in ticket sales, then you can spend $300 million in the next year. And if you don't do that, then um, you are, you can't spend $100 million more than you're taking in. Except what happened with, uh, accordingly, according to reports, uh, early reports of, of the investigation with Man City, in order to get around that, they just fabricated hundreds of millions of dollars of income they didn't have. Which begs the question, why would any sane person spend more money than they have? Isn't this a business? And the answer is, not really. Juventus, um, PSG, Chelsea, Man City, Newcastle... They're either owned by Russian oligarchs, or they're owned by um, Italian magnates, or they're owned by Qatari princes. And they're either engaged in the process of sports washing, or they've got this kind of crazy financially leveraged system where they're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars up front to get into the Champions League or to win the Scudetto. Um, And if they don't, then it's going to be a financial catastrophe for them. Um, By the way, this isn't just a top end of football problem. This isn't just a Champions League level problem. You can see this down the pyramid in England when you have League Two and League One um, and even teams like Wrexham in the National League um, who their owners have to spend millions of dollars to try and get them up into the next tier where they can make a lot more money. And then if they fail, well, then they've spunked $10 million and they've only taken in two. Um, this is less of a problem in America because of the way um, the MLS ownership system works. And that's not uh, an argument in favor of what's called single entity, which is MLS, but it's at least an argument against the way world soccer is structured right now, which is that it's perfectly acceptable um, and normal to lose scads of money. And the only way to do it in Manchester City's case is to cheat and lie, right? Like they... They didn't really, to some degree, Matt, they didn't really do anything wrong in the sense that Man City's owners are totally happy to lose hundreds of millions of dollars and to take in far less than they expend on the team. It's just that FIFA won't let them do that. Um, So teams like them and Barcelona and PSG are filing fraudulent reports to FIFA in order to try and get around this. So clearly, like you said, Matt, financial fair play doesn't work. I suggested um, rules that look a little bit more like MLS's rules, and most of the Euroheads that saw me tweet that on Twitter didn't much like it because they don't like how Byzantine the rules are. Personally, I don't think the MLS rules are that complicated, and also, um, you know, as long as you actually follow them and you investigate any violations, the rules are, are fine. I think the challenge with FIFA fair play is, the rules themselves don't make any sense and they're not necessarily (laughs) investigated very well.
1: Mark, we've got a very special episode. Obviously, we're coming on to the start of a new MLS season. There's a bunch of people that are potentially new to the team. And Mark, we might be getting a significantly larger audience as people with Apple TV or Apple devices realize that 40% of MLS games are available to them without a paywall, might be interested, might be from Colorado, and may or may not be like, oh, right, we have an MLS team, and they're not on altitude anymore, and it doesn't matter that I can't get altitude because don't block my altitude is still happening. Let me watch the Rapids you <laughs> If this applies, if I just described it you, dear listener, this episode is for you. Rabbi's done a very good job of coming up with key core questions to help you get caught up. In the next 45-ish minutes, we are going to teach you all the things that you need to know to become a proper MLS sicko, and in particular, to become a proper <laughs> Colorado Rapids supporter and get caught up on 26, 27 years of history, a bunch of good factoids and everything, and hopefully whet your appetite to further dig into all things Burgundy Boys.
0: Matt, that was fantastic. That was the intro that I was going to do. So I'll do a different intro, which is I'm going to intro who are you and who am I and why do we even merit to sit on a microphone and talk about the Colorado Rapids. My name is Rabbi Mark Asher Goodman. Uh, Generally, I go by Rabbi on this podcast. He is Matt Pollard. Um, Matt has been writing about soccer for eons, uh, and so have I. This is about to be my ninth season um, reporting on Major League Soccer, uh, tenth season following the Colorado Rapids. I live in Pittsburgh. I also write for Pittsburgh Soccer Now. And today, I spent most of the day updating my local club's um, website, the the Pittsburgh Dynamo, um, because we put a team into M- We put a, our first ever player into MLS today. Uh, A guy by the name of Ben Martino, goalkeeper for Nashville. But that's beside the point. Um, I've been writing about soccer for a number of different uh, websites, going back to my first, which was called Burgundy Wave. Matt is currently the editor of Burgundy Wave. It won't be uh, around for too much longer, but we're going to keep writing about soccer or at least in its current, iteration, uh, anyways, TBD so on the, on
1: the status of Burgundy wave, go back and listen to our, Are <laughs> oh, not safe. maybe don't go back and listen to our not safe for work episode that we had oh, yeah. a few episodes ago that will catch you up on that, but is a very poor representation of holding the high line. We are family friendly. We are knowledgeable <laughs> and we are sober when we talk about things on this podcast. That was a very special night for a very special topic in that regard, but accurately describes the state of soccer journalism. But, um, Yes, in any case, uh, rabbis.
0: Matt and I have been doing this podcast for about uh, five years. We're about to start our fifth season together, I think, doing a podcast. We met in the um, press box up at at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, which we'll talk a little bit about in a second. Um, And we've been doing a podcast ever since on the Colorado Rapids. We cover the team from week to week. We preview the games. We talk about the roster. We talk about um, repairs and fixes that need to be made. We interview players. We interview staff. Um, Matt goes out to training and reports on what he sees. Uh, I do uh, deep dives into advanced metrics and statistics um, and also do a lot of road reporting. And uh, I'm also the staff photographer for holding the Highline Media, um, mostly because we don't have one. So whenever I can get out to an away game, I bring my handy dandy camera and get my press pass and get down to the pit with the the grungy guys with the mud on their ankles. So um, that's our introduction to who Matt and I are. We've been writing about soccer for a long time. You can catch all our stuff by following us on Twitter, as we mentioned before. But let's get things going, Matthew. Um, You are up to ask me the first of our Rapids 101 questions. There's going to be 11 of them, and that's because there are 11 women or men on a soccer field for each team.
1: Mark, who are the Colorado Rapids? When were they founded? What have been their home venues? Where do they play currently?
0: Yeah, well, the Colorado Rapids were... Uh, and are what is known in our league, Major League Soccer, sometimes referred to as MLS, sometimes referred to as the MLS, mostly by European players in a comical way, um, was founded in 1996. Major League Soccer was originally founded as part of a Faustian bargain to some degree when um, U.S. soccer officials bid on the 1994 World Cup they made a pitch to FIFA saying, we should host it next time. And FIFA said, you don't have a domestic league. And the response of the Americans was, we promise we'll start a domestic league if you just give us the World Cup. So in 1994, the World Cup was held in the United States. I, 17-year-old Mark, went to a game, uh, Cameroon versus Sweden. And two years later, out from... Uh, The depths of uh, the soul of America was born the second ever um, major American soccer league following on the heels of the NASL, the North American Soccer League, which was founded in the mid 1970s and collapsed in 1982. So in 1996, Major League Soccer started with, uh, I believe, eight soccer teams. No, it was 10 at the time. That's right. And there's only nine of them surviving to this day um so they started with 10 teams matt says
1: nine no it was i started with 10 ended with eight mark because the two florida teams fold i are we're not counting inner miami and the miami fusion it's the same franchise correct no we are okay yeah so started with 10 ultimately got whittled down to eight expansion has happened since
0: Yeah, we'll get to that probably down the road eventually. But anyways, the Rapids were one of the original teams. The Colorado Rapids were founded in officially in October of 1995. But of course, the season didn't start until 1996 for actual soccer playing. So um, that is the first year of the Colorado Rapids. Uh, The first years of MLS were wild and woolly and pretty crazy. Um, There were a lot of really exciting players from the 94 World Cup who were offered scads of money to join the league. Um, every team was allocated kind of a, a signature player, uh, 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 an exciting American or an exciting foreign player that could be the team talisman at the beginning. Um, the Colorado Rapids were uh, allocated Marcelo Balboa, um, who was really famous for just narrowly missing one of the most spectacular bicycle kicks in '94, he wound up he wound up going on to scoring a couple of neat uh, bicycle kicks for the Rapids in their first couple of years. The um, original colors of the Colorado Rapids were uh, green and white, um, with uh, some kits that had green and black in them. Eventually, um, and uh, over time, they would switch to blue and black with stripes, um, and then eventually the current uh, iteration, which is burgundy. Hence, the team's one of the team's nicknames. The Burgundy Boys. Um, the original Colorado Rapids played in Mile High Stadium, a cavernous throwball stadium that seats just under 100,000 people. Um, Rapids fans would generally only congregate on the lower concourses, except, of course, for the annual July 4th game in which the stadium would fill up until the more upward conc- concourses. The Colorado Rapids have had a game on July 4th, as far as I know, Matt, ever since their first season in the league it's kind of a tradition um and a basic rule Matt wants to add something go ahead
1: maybe a fact check here rabbi i have a, the, the club was founded in june of 1995 you said october um so
0: it's funny that you mentioned that now you're doing a deep dive nerd thing which is the um the league uh website claims june and the club website claims october and i don't know what the discrepancy is but
1: Um, And then the other thing to add, Rabbi, is um, there was – I remember looking this up during 2020. 2020 was the first year in which the Rapids did not play over 4th of July weekend. There was one year in which uh, 4th of July was bookended into a three-day weekend in which the Rapids did not physically play on the 4th. As of February of 2023, folks, there have only been two times since the founding of the league in which the Colorado Rapids did not physically play on 4th of July. It's 4th Fest. It is the largest fireworks show in the state of Colorado. It is a tradition. It is one of the uh, premier games to go to as far as a Rapids home game is every single season, no matter what.
0: And we do not talk about things that happened in the pandemic year. Those never count. Um, so the team played in Mile High Stadium until 2006. In 2007, the Colorado Rapids opened their brand new stadium, a soccer-specific stadium in Commerce City, Colorado, which is just to the east and northeast of Denver. Um, They have played in DSGP, a.k.a. The Dick, since uh, 2007. Um, There are no plans to move as of yet. DSGP is a great place to see a game. It's a little hard to get to on public transit. If you ride a bike and the weather's nice, it's a great ride. Um, And if uh, if you like to tailgate... Parking is free. So one of the best things about going to a Colorado Rapids game at DSGP is you can park wherever you want. You don't have to pay a dime and you can roll out your smoker and bust out the hot dogs or the pizza or whatever you're going to do. And if you didn't bring your own stuff, there's a great tailgate by the uh, uh, supporters group, which we'll talk about later. Matt, let's move on to the second question. Uh, And I'm going to ask you, Matt. Who owns the Colorado Rapids, and what do fans think about the ownership
1: group? The Colorado Rapids are currently owned by KSE, Cronkie Sports and Entertainment. They were originally founded, Mark, like many of the other uh, inaugural, like many of the other MLS originals were founded by the Anschutz Corporation, Phil Anschutz. You know, the modern version of that organization, folks, is AEG, the Anschutz Entertainment Group, mostly owning a lot of stuff in the Southern California region, including but not limited to the Los Angeles Galaxy, another MLS original team. Uh, AEG, Mark, and Phil Anschutz are, and should be widely credited with sustaining the league for numbers of years when they were willing to just uh, lose millions of dollars. There's a famous, uh apocryphal event of Stan Kronke, uh Phil Anschutz and Don Garber meeting at their, at the ranch in Wyoming, just on the Wyoming side of the Wyoming and Colorado uh, border. Uh, Don Garber reportedly and hypocritically uh, brought his, uh, his, his, not bailout. What's the word? His lawyers for his bankruptcy lawyers to see whether or not they wanted to fold the league, and they decided to go all in. KSC, Cronky Sports and Entertainment, and Stan Cronkey purchased the Colorado Rapids in 2004 and since have been responsible for the operations of the team since. They were obviously responsible for the club's move out from Mile High Stadium to Dick Sporting Goods Park. Uh, Mark? Mark? KSC is generally not well-liked by Colorado Rapids fans and is generally derided by other MLS spaces and how KSC has operated generally in its sports operations. uh, See St. Louis uh, NFL fans on that. Obviously, KSC has had a number of successes over its time owning the various sports franchises it has. They've overseen multiple Stanley Cups won by the Colorado Avalanche. Obviously, they built out SoFi Stadium in Southern California in which the Los Angeles Rams then – Won a Super Bowl playing in that home stadium and also they own Arsenal who've had, I don't know, Mark, you tell me as the the Gunner fan here have had modicums of success under them. But obviously spending has kind of been up and down when there's an easy opportunity to blame silent Stan, as he's known, or absent Stan um, fans take to that. Uh, With varying levels of, I think, that being valid, Mark. Um, KSC doesn't particularly care about the Rapids. They are not funded well historically relative to other MLS ownership groups, regardless of what other entities those clubs own. The Arsenal's transfer budget that they get every single year when they are regularly in contention for a trophy or Champions League, their transfer budget is has a rounding error that would be a massive influx of cash of what the Colorado Rapids are able to own uh, Mark there is a nutmeg news article I believe that a number of years ago reported on what KSE could do in order to help the Rapids and it was a list of 10 things and all 10 of them were uh, sell the team to someone who cares, Grant Wall rest in peace would regularly do an ambition rankings annually of MLS teams and regularly the Rapids would be at or near the bottom of that due to the financial situation and due to KSC's general disinterest in trying to revitalize the club. So he's not well liked. That being said, Mark, it should be pointed out that obviously KSC did invest in a soccer Specific stadium, which I think has been a net benefit for the club relative to if they were still playing in the new mile high in 2023 as we are talking. And KSC has been from the jump very, very into fully funding and supporting the academy, which increasingly has been very, very good in Major League Soccer. And if they had done it a couple years earlier, maybe I think the rapids would have iterated a few things to be up there with new york red bulls and fc dallas as the best academy in major league soccer with that mark let's move on to what is the rapids reputation in the league uh what is their all-time high how historically are we a middling club rabbi mark goodman
0: i think for those of you who are english premier league fans or who are fans of the bundesliga or the french league um we compare to a team like uh, Lil or Huygnak, Uh we compare to a team like Middlesbrough or Crystal Palace. Um, we compare with a team like Bayer Leverkusen um, or uh, Werder Bremen, you know, meaning we're a good team or a respectable team. Uh, we are not a juggernaut team. And that's kind of the, the rep- reputation of the Colorado Rapids. Um, they've always been uh, entertaining. They've often been formidable. There've been a lot of bad season mixed in with the good seasons. Um, one other piece of our reputation is there is a mid-season tournament in American soccer called the U.S. Open Cup, and the Colorado Rapids have been pretty much the most woeful team in America at the Open Cup of any team. We are the last team Uh, From the first tier of American soccer to lose to a second tier side in the 1999 U.S. Open Cup, the Colorado Rapids lost to the Rochester Rhinos, who are effectively no longer a soccer team anymore. Although some would argue that the Rochester soccer team uh, that currently exists uh, inherited the Rhinos legacy. Um, But that being said, the the lows have been punctuated by some really neat highs. The most recent high was in 2016 when the Rapids, uh, the highs, let's, let's say that properly, were 2016 when the Colorado Rapids made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals against um, Seattle Sounders, losing over two legs. Uh, the Sounders ultimately went on to the championship game and I believe won it that year, right, Matt?
1: 2016 would have been Seattle beating Toronto. Yeah, that's right. The, the Stephen Toronto. Fry uh, masterclass.
0: Yeah. Um, another high point for the Colorado Rapids recently was in 2021. Uh, the Rapids won the Western Conference outright uh, by playing just fantastic soccer all season long um, and getting just some really timely goals at the at the right spots. Um, It was an an exceptional year. Unfortunately, the playoffs didn't quite work out that great for the Rapids. And unfortunately, in Major League Soccer, there isn't really much of a fancy pants trophy for winning the Western Conference. There is an actual trophy, but it's not up there with, like, for instance, being the best regular season team in which you get something called the Supporter Shield. But, of course, the most impressive heights of the Colorado Rapids in the team's history was in 2010 when they won MLS Cup. The 2010 Colorado Rapids finished uh, seventh. Or, sorry, fifth overall uh, in Major League Soccer. Um, that was good enough to qualify them third in the East. Yes, the East. How that can be explained, I can't really begin to tell you. This is a 101 show, not a 401 graduate level class in strange decisions Major League Soccer used to make in the old days. They grounded their way through the conference semifinals on a 2-2 victory over uh, the Columbus crew. Um, they won on penalty kicks uh, in extra time. In the conference finals, they squeaked past San Jose 1-0, and then in a really sloppy, physical, shovy, pushy, kind of messy match uh, held on neutral territory in Toronto, the Colorado Rapids got a, uh end-of-the-game goal uh, and beating FC Dallas 2-1. to one. Um, Current Colorado Rapids commentator and team professional, Drew Moore, was on that team, uh, and he can tell you all about it if you see him in person at DSGP. So the crowning achievement for the Colorado Rapids, their only major trophy as a professional soccer club, is winning MLS Cup in 2010. With that, we turn to our fourth question. Matt, if the Rapids had a Mount Rushmore, who would be on it? Who are the four all-time Rapids greats.
1: So Mark, if we're just talking about this from a player's perspective, the Colorado Rapids already have what is known as their Gallery of honor so I figured that's a good place to start. The first two members of that gallery of honor were the aforementioned Marcela Baboa, longtime US center back and holding midfielder scored a fantastic bicycle kick winning goal of the year early on in Major League Soccer and then also Paul Bravo who is a striker in the early part for the uh, Colorado Rapids. He is an MLS original, but actually played in 1996 with the San Jose Clash, what we now know as the San Jose Earthquakes, and he was a massive part of that team mark that made it to the 1997 MLS Cup Final, losing out to DC United at a rain-soaked RFK Stadium. We also have Chris Henderson, possibly the first number 10 in Colorado Rapids history and a massive player in there from a chance-creating standpoint for the Rapids alongside Balboa in the MLS 1.0 era. He is the all-time leader in assists for the Rapids with 53. Later on, you have John Spencer, a Scottish striker for the Colorado Rapids. He was captain at a time. I think he was a head coach or an assistant with Portland Timbers in retirement. And then moving on to more of the modern era, Mark, talking about players who are a massive part of that 2010 MLS Cup championship, you have Pablo Mastroini, who is the only player to have his jersey number retired, number 25. Um, uh, He was inducted in 2014. Captain for the Colorado Rapids leads in a number of uh, statistics and obviously was a holding midfielder and the heart and soul of the team that won that championship in 2010. And he went on to be the head coach of the Colorado Rapids and his personality was embodied in the team's very successful 2016 season in which they finished second in the Western Conference, second in the Supporters' Shield, and narrowly lost out at hosting that 2016 MLS Cup. So I would argue, Mark, that being the third most successful team in Colorado Rapids history. Pablo Mastroeni, a massive part, both as a player and a head coach for the Rapids, but now is somewhat derided, I would say arguably derided, and considered a turncoat for the Colorado Rapids as he is the head coach of Real Salt Lake, our rivals. And then final, the uh, final inductee we have to the Gallery of Honor, Mark, is Conor. Or Casey regarded as the best number nine for the Colorado Rapids a big bald head good with his feet very physical good in the air as well a big horrible person that you would want up top scoring goals for you <laughs> and was fantastic netting 50 goals in 119 appearances for the Colorado Rapids and Mark just recently in 2022 Diego Rubio tied his single season regular season record for 16 goals in MLS in a single season for the Colorado Rapids if there's one other name that I would throw in there Mark I would say drew Moore, given what he's done for the rapids he was a part of that 2010 team um he was an all star for the rapids when they hosted the all-star game i believe in 2015 against tottenham hotspurs i would throw his name in given mark the history for the colorado rapids to have be a defensive team to be about defense and physicality there's a great line from robin frazier uh I believe in one of his first games being the head coach of the Rapids. And he was talking about Drew Moore and he said, he's hardworking, he's unremarkable. um, And, uh, and, and he, and he does his job. And so in the spirit of that, Mark, the four that I would put, if we're just talking about from a player's perspective, I think if it's coaching perspective, it is Gary Smith, number one, the current head coach, Robin Fraser number two, and Pablo Mastorini. I don't know that there is a qualified fourth candidate that I would put in that tier. And Mark, I feel very confident in many ways Robin Frazier will statistically become better than Gary Smith. But obviously for him to truly be better than uh, Coach Smith, he has to win a major trophy for the Colorado Rapids, which no other head coach has. So, uh, if we're but if we're just talking about players, which is my rules that I'm setting for uh for this question, Mark, I would put Pablo Mastorani and Marcelo Balboa. I think you'd make an argument for either two being one or two. I would throw in, I would throw in Drew Moore for that as well. And maybe this is me being less of an MLS head in the 1.0 era mark. I would say that Connor Casey narrowly beats out Chris Henderson for that fifth spot. I think if 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 I'm allowed to have five people, if we're including Crazy Horse in the Mount Rushmore, then I think unquestionably <laughs> the fifth option is Chris Henderson. All four of them are absolutely deserving, and I think unfortunately for the players other than Pablo Market, they had numbers that were less common in soccer. I think their numbers, along with Pablo Mastroeni's 25, could be retired as well. With that, Rabbi, let's move on to what is the what is the supporters group? How does it work? Who is and how Been supporters groups for the Colorado Rapids.
0: So, if you're coming over to soccer from any other American sport, it's basically the same. There's a ball, it goes in a net, you pay for a ticket, there's nachos, right? It's basically the same as every other sport, roughly. Um, The big difference between world soccer and American sport is the supporters group. Supporters groups are not fan clubs. They are way more organized and way more serious. In other countries, they wind up having extremely important roles with the team. They sometimes wind up on boards voting on major decisions the team has. In Germany, for instance, supporters own up to 50% of the club or more than, sorry, more than 50% of the club by Bundesliga rules, um, although not necessarily a one supporters group in specific. Supporters groups are responsible for putting on something of a show of themselves, especially for major games like playoff matches, the home opener um, and major games against your rival. The way you do that is by having an incredible display of flags and banners and smoke, which are called TIFO from the Italian word TIFOSI, um, That's one big function of a supporters group, and the Colorado Rapids have one of the better supporters groups in Major League Soccer when it comes to TIFO, when it comes to those displays at the beginning of the game. The Colorado Rapids supporters group is called C38, Centennial 38, because Colorado was the 38th state admitted to the Union and was admitted, of course, in 1876, the Centennial of the United States of America. C-38 is actually a conglomeration of several supporters groups that existed before it. Um, One of them was uh, PID Army, another one was called Class 5, um, and another one was called Mile High Locos. The Mile High Locos still kind of exist within C-38 But, um, whereas many soccer teams in America have multiple supporters groups that inhabit different parts of the stands or, uh, uh, gather together in one special stand for supporters, the Colorado Rapids have one club to unite them all, one supporters group to unite them all. And that's C38. You could become a member of C38 pretty easily by going onto their website and signing up, costs a couple bucks, probably like 28 or $30 comes with a scarf, um, Additionally, they always have a tailgate before every home game. 17 home games this year. It's great food. Uh, they have pizza and beer. And um, I think the cost is... Are we up to $11 now, Matt? Last I remember it was like 9
1: Uh It early. was 10 last year. I think it might be going up slightly this year because inflation. Yeah, because
0: inflation. Um, the Colorado Rapids supporters group six, sits in Section 117, which is the right behind the goal at the south end of the stadium. Uh, It's a great place to sit. Um, One of the uh, two secrets of being a member in C38 is, um, one, if you would like to get the cheapest season ticket uh, available, you can buy your season ticket through C38 and it will be hundreds of dollars cheaper than buying a season ticket anywhere else in the stadium. That is a, a, a cool hack that I recommend. Um, the only downside is you'll have to stand for the whole game because section uh, 117 is a standing room only section. Um, the other cool MLS uh, Colorado Rapids hack that I recommend is if you sign up with C38 to take the bus to the game, You can show up at, uh, I think it's two bars in the downtown Denver metro area, Um, hit the bar on a Saturday uh, early, have a couple of drinks, buy a ticket for the bus, um, and then get a round-trip bus to and from Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Usually there are refreshments served on the bus as well, smuggled into various C38 members, pant legs, and so forth. So C38 is a good time. Um, In fact, uh, Matt and I have probably already watched it, but if you have uh, your Apple TV, you're going to want to go see it. Um, There's a feature called The Ritual uh, on the Apple TV videos available on MLS. C38 is prominently featured because um, they get to hand out the kind of player of the game for all the home games. They give every player... An or, which is a tradition going back to the very beginning of the team. All right, let's uh, break for a second so that I can tell you a little bit about our podcast and how we support ourselves. We are sponsored by ourselves. Matt and I uh, have no uh, other sponsorships uh, other than our faithful listeners, you who tune into this podcast and uh, have subscribed to our substack. So our substack is holdingthehighline.substack.com. And if you go there, you can subscribe to the newsletter, which comes at least twice a month. comes with lots of information about what's going on with the Colorado Rapids, lots of articles, uh, information, breakdowns, details, looking backwards at past games, looking forwards at the transfer windows, all the deep dive information that you super Colorado Rapids nerds would want. Um additionally the podcast doesn't pay for itself folks there are hosting responsibilities Matt's got to pay for gas out to the stadium in order to interview players I got to pay for a plane ticket at least once a year running a Colorado Rapids website and uh, trying to run a podcast is, is hard work we love it it's our it's our side hustle of a side hustle um we do it for fun but it'd be great if you could help us support uh ourselves in this endeavor you could do that by becoming a subscriber Our Highline subscribers pay for a yearly fee, just $42 for the podcast and for all the newsletters and for some eh, special behind-the-scenes additional stuff that only goes to our subscribers, special articles that are only available to them, and also either a discount or an entirely free piece of merch, which we will be doing this year. Um, That is the way you can support us. You can also pay us... Uh, out monthly at the rate of $5 a piece, or if you just like to support us at some other rate that's affordable to you, that's an option too. So go to holdingthehighline.substack.com, click the subscribe button, and when it asks you to fill in your pay information, just click whatever old button you want to pick and send us a couple bucks. We'd really appreciate it. With that, we're going to turn to question number six. Matt, MLS has some specific rules like designated players and a salary cap. What's that all about?
1: First thing that I want to add, Mark, uh, for those wondering, um, C38's website is C38SG.com. And right now, Mark, you can go on and buy full season tickets for 2023 for $323. That comes out to what? $27 a game. Oh so check God. that out. And, it's a bargain. And if it wasn't obvious to you folks, Colorado is the centennial state. We were founded in 1876, 100 years after the uh, founding of our nation. That's for Centennial comes from, and Colorado was the 38th state added to the Union. That's where 38 comes from. You are now prepared to win that quiz show when you go to a C-38 quiz... Uh, pub quiz that they have. So, Mark, specific rules. Yes, it's complicated. MLS has this thing called these complicated roster rules and regulations. It is esoteric. It is rooted in the single entity nature of this league, and it's very complicated relative to what exists in other American sports, and certainly the greater... um, international market that we say it was soccer. So a few terms that I'm going to define. DP, designated player. Every single player in MLS has a salary cap hit. There's a minimum salary cap hit, and there's a maximum salary cap It. You could really call the salary cap mark more of, a, more of a budget range that you have. There's a minimum low that you have, and then a max that you can exceed. And there's a number of ways that you can exceed that in terms of total player compensation that's not necessarily against that cap, i.e. not part of the single entity monies that move around within Major League Soccer, effectively paid out through various mechanisms, often out of the pocket of the ownership group. As we mentioned, KSC does not do this as regularly as other MLS teams. There are three roster spots you have, Mark, known as designated players, in which you can pay them whatever you want uh, in terms of total compensation, in terms of how much uh, money of a transfer fee you pay for them, and you just pay out the difference beyond that. There are certain ways that you can use what is called GAM, General Allocation Money, G-A-M, that you can use that also subsidize this. MLS used to have this thing called Targeted Allocation Money that was for very specific types of uh, acquisitions and players that you could have, that has now been folded into GAM, but it's now discretionary GAM. So general allocation money is distributed and used as a internal MLS cryptocurrency, if you will, that you can trade for other things within MLS, and when you want to spend a little bit more of that, you can choose to discretionarily spend GAM as opposed to money out of your own pocket, again, all coming out of the pocketbooks of the ownership directly, rather than through the other financial mechanisms that exist within the league, and through revenue sharing uh what other uh things can i talk about uh mark on this front? talk about the international slots okay so there are domestic players and then our international players folks crudely players that have established residency in one of the united states or canada you can be a citizen you can be someone who is eligible to play for either of those two national teams that i just mentioned you can be a greenheart green card colder. Mark and I are not uh, immigration experts at all. There's obviously many complicated ways one can acquire a green card and it is a mechanism by which International players coming to MLS who've been here for a couple of years can find a way to get that stabilizes them in terms of after they're playing their career, should they want to remain in the United States or Canada. It also makes them domestic players for the purpose of this. Uh, there are a certain number of international roster spots. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it averages out to seven or eight per MLS team, and they are tradable. Right now, roughly, that's uh in the last year has gone from anywhere from like 175 in general allocation money all the way up to almost 300k depending on the situation so you can acquire an extra international roster spot if you need to sign another international player one of your existing international players can become a domestic player via a number of different ways or you can uh if you're a team that does not have a lot of international players you then have an asset that other mls teams want and you can use that to get general allocation money gam folks is a very good kind of universal Currency in terms of equating assets that you have in MLS. If you're talking about international roster spots, draft picks in the MLS Super Draft, which is significantly less significant than the drafts in the other sports that you have, folks. You know, uh, a uh, the Chicago Bears are going to get a very good player in the upcoming NFL draft. They could get a possibly a franchise level quarterback, folks. LeBron James, Christian Pulisic, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi are not the types of players that you would find in the MLS super draft. So that is what's going on with international roster spots. And generally the currency that we talk about within major league soccer, there's a very easy way for you when talking about other assets to just equate them in terms of general allocation money, crudely just credits or money that you have within MLS. Mark, any other major terms that I haven't talked about?
0: Yeah, I got one more that I think is worthy of exploring, which is there's something called
1: a super draft and there's something else called a
0: homegrown.
1: What are those, Matt? Okay, so the super draft is MLS's branding they have around the draft for college eligible players that they have coming out of there. Um, Players can be made available through that. They have a combine and everything. Players are selected. Historically, with where we are now in the super draft, folks, you really want one of those top 10 picks to really get a player that you feel confident is going to be a contributor over the next three to five years in Major League Soccer. Historically, the Super Draft is very good at producing holding midfielders and center backs, occasionally wide, mostly defensive players. There are a handful of outliers that you have, but that has just gradually gone down and down. If I look at the roster the Rapids had for their 2010. MLS Cup. I would be willing to bet you over half of them were players that were available through the MLS Super Draft or what used to exist, the MLS Supplementary Draft to basically supplement the roster even further because there were so few teams and so few rounds that that few number of college seniors were being drafted out of that. Uh, One other term that we have when it comes to the Super Draft, Rabbi, is what we call Generation Adidas Players or GA Players. Adidas has a sponsorship program whereby up-and-coming under classmen in college soccer can declare early. Professionally, there are financial incentives that make teams want to have them. They have a lower cap hit. They can give them a little bit more money. And Adidas also sets aside extra money such that if the player's career ultimately doesn't work out, they can go back and ultimately finish their education. Something that's better than a GA player, Mark, is a homegrown that we abbreviate in Texas, HG, but I've never seen someone actually say out loud, HD player, until I just said it just now. That is a player that comes out out of normally your MLS Academy teams' home uh, Academy program, that then you sign and have a number of other financial levers and mechanisms that make you able to pay them more. They get uh, they have a lower cap hit that also makes it easier, and then through the roster designations they have. their senior roster spots, their supplemental, and then there's which the other one, Mark, that I'm missing? Additional reserve. reserve roster spots as well. It's very easy to move them around. So from a general management standpoint and a roster building standpoint, there's a lot of flexibility with homegrowns, less so with GA players. There's a lot of flexibility financially in terms of that. And while originally when the homegrown rules came out, folks, there were mechanisms that incentivized teams to have homegrown crones hold on to them and also to sell them abroad that compared to other players they've sensed loosened some of those but generally it's good to have homegrowns on your roster it is an incentive for mls teams to invest in their academy the rapids have invested heavily in their academy they have gone after ga players available in the draft they have traded for ga players on other teams after the draft they have acquired players that are homegrown eligible via some other mechanism in their youth academy program even if they were not part of the rapids Rapids Development Academy, and they have used that to their advantage. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. I want to say GA and homegrowns combined, I think the Rapids have 10 almost on a roster out of 30. That's pretty darn good. Okay, Mark, let us move on. Oh, I might have actually already defined this. A little, but I'll I'll go deeper. Okay, um, Rabbi, uh, what other things do we need to know about GAM and TAM?
0: All right, so Matt mentioned something called GAM and something called TAM. So there are... You have uh, a, a budget cap, a salary cap, which I would call a soft cap in Major League Soccer, that is currently uh, $5.2 million. But let's say you have some players who are going to go over the cap for you, um, or you'd like to sign a player on what's called a transfer fee, you'd like to buy a player from another club. One of the funny things about Major League Soccer, as opposed to American sports... In American sports, you trade a left fielder for a catcher um, or you trade him for you trade a a, a power forward for three draft picks. Right. In soccer, you typically don't trade players. You pay cash for players. So that's one of those things. And that phrase is called a transfer fee. So you'll pay money straight up for a player Um, that happens in every league around the world. One of the funny things about the single entity nature of Major League Soccer, in which technically all of the teams are sort of owned by the league, is that there's kind of an MLS-style monopoly money that's used internally within the league, but cannot be used outside the league. And it's called GAM, General Allocation Money. Every team in Major League Soccer gets $1.9 million in GAM each year. It can be traded between teams and depending on certain things like where you finish, uh, if you finish in the playoffs, if you go to a special tournament called the CONCACAF Champions League, um, if you finish out of the playoffs, uh, if you uh, have certain other things that are achieved, you may be given extra general allocation money or GAM. The GAM is tradable. You can use it to buy things from other teams, like, for instance, an additional international roster spot, uh, like Matt mentioned. So the Rapids, for instance, this season have nine international roster spots. At last count, they had 10 international players. They have about a month to figure that out and maybe what they'll wind up doing is buying another international roster spot from another team. So that's one use of GAM, possibly. Another use of GAM can be to buy a player from an opposing team. Another use of GAM could be to buy a a super draft spot from another team. Maybe you really want the 12th spot and somebody else has it. You hand them 100,000 in GAM and maybe they'll give it to you. Um, There's a few other uses of GAM. Generally, you can use it to pay players down to get you under the budget cap. So say you have a roster that has $6.2 million worth of players on there. Oh no, you say you're $1 million over the MLS budget cap. Not to worry. You can use your MLS GAM allocation to pay yourself down to get under the budget cap. That's how GAM works. Um, GAM can be traded, uh, but it expires each season. Um, That's a newish rule. There used to be the ability to kind of like uh, bank your gam and roll it over from season to season. That no longer exists. Then there's something called TAM. TAM had some other functions in the old days of Major League Soccer. But the way TAM works, TAM stands for um, targeted allocation money. TAM is really a discretionary fund. So GAM is money that the league hands you in Monopoly money to play with each and every year. You get $1.9 million in GAM. It comes from the league. Uh, It's use it or lose it, right? You really want to spend that money. Um, It basically means that effectively you've got free cash to play with for your roster. TAM is different. TAM is money you can spend as a club on your roster, but it doesn't come from the league. So if you're Stan Kroenke and you really want to win the league, but you've spent all $7.1 million of your budget cap and your GAM allocation for the year, but you say to yourself, ah, shucks, I would really like to buy one more player for $2.7 million this year who would really get me over the hump, and you filled out all your designated player spots, and you filled out all your other roster spots, you can spend your own discretionary TAM out of your own big-budget money bags, Walmart cash pockets to get that extra player. Um, Generally, many teams in Major League Soccer do spend a little bit of TAM here and there on things like transfer fees and big-time players. Um, For instance, Giorgio Chiellini, who is a center back who used to play for Juventus? Who uh, LAFC signed? Uh, LAFC had all three of their designated player spots filled, um, so they had to pay Chiellini out of their TAM fund. Um, that got will get rectified this year because Gareth Bale is now long uh, has retired and is now off playing golf at Pebble Beach instead of playing soccer for LAFC. So Chiellini will probably hit them as a designated player. But the Rapids, interestingly enough, have pretty much never really needed TAM as far as we know in the modern era. And that's because they've never really fully used the complete amount of spending that they possibly could have used. All right, with that, we have done the deep dive on the monies more than anyone in their right mind would want to hear. Matt, let's turn to the current team because that's really important. Uh, Question eight, what are or who are some of the veteran leaders on this current 2023 Rapids
1: team. One final acronym that I'll define for you, Mark, oh, that we forgot no. about was VAR, which is known as... Mar! Yes, which is known as the Video Assistant Referee. It is often mistakenly uh, believed to be an acronym for Video Assisted Replay. Effectively, uh, listeners, just like how you have the Video Replay Referee that you have up in the booth, often in throwball games as well. There's one that we now have at in soccer, specifically in MLS as well. It's usually in a centralized location as well and it's the VAR's job to go back and review footage that you've seen from various plays, and then often communicate with the head center referee to discuss about possibly changing a call that was made on the field this is usually in regards to penalties in red cards as well Um, and so uh, they have some terminology around this, Mark, as in uh, not, as opposed to indisputable video evidence you have uh, clear and obvious, and that has become much a debate about what actually is defined as clear and obvious. MLS I think has been pragmatic and uh, limited in its use of VAR compared to other leagues, particularly the Premier League, and overall it has been a net positive for the game. VAR and VAR continue to improve in terms of its communication and ultimately its usage to make it very clear what is being reviewed, how is it being reviewed, and then how that decision comes about. People like me and Mark can act as pool reporters in which we get to ask referees after the game about various questions uh, about decisions they made in the game, including related to VAR decisions as well, that then provides clarity on their actual decisions. They are working towards being in a position to where the referees can actually, in real time, just like we see in other major sports, actually communicate their decision and the reasoning behind it as well. So, Mark, veteran leaders that we have for the Colorado Rapids, I will start with the captain, Jack Price, holding midfielder, Englishman, number 19, a bone-crunching midfielder who's capable of pinging long passes both in possession and on set pieces as well. He is loud. He can be angry. He is a very measured individual and he is a fantastic international captain for the Colorado Rapids and embodies all things hashtag keep fighting as far as I'm concerned. The next two that I'm going to point out, Mark, are the veteran holding, not holding midfielders, uh, fullbacks that you have for the Colorado Rapids. Keegan Rosenberry, who's been a right back and at times a center back and a back three for the Rapids. Originally from Philadelphia, the Rapids acquired him from Philadelphia Union. He's been an Iron Man for the Rapids, and despite being relatively short, he's decent in the air. And every once in a while, folks, usually two to three times a year, he scores an absolute cracker from outside the box. He's more of a quiet leader that you have, or I'd say a little bit more measured. You know, Jack Price can get up in everybody's faces and be very yelly. Keegan Rosenberry is much more of the strong, silent type lead by example. Another player like that is the other fullback the Rapids have on the veteran side, which is Steven sure I believe, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, the oldest player that the Rapids currently have on their roster as well. He's been all over MLS. He's won MLS Cups. He's won Supporter Shields and everything. He's very happy. He has got that dog in him, and he is a player very much trusted by Robin Frazier as both a left back and secondarily as a right back. You also have goalkeeper William Yarbrough, Mark, who is the second loudest player on the team during play, behind only Jack Price, veteran goalkeeper, very good at organizing the back line in front of him and very communicative in terms of what is he seeing and can he communicate something to the defense or the midfielders in front of him that can prevent a fire rather than allowing a fire to spread. One of the players that William Yarbrough is often speaking to is Danny Wilson, who will then be yelling at Jack Price. He is a center back. He is Scottish and he is known as the Scottish Salmon or rather Scottish Salmon is a verb that describes what he does when he does. He leaps up into the air and heads the ball into the net place, scoring a goal on set pieces for the Colorado Rapids, usually provided from a corner by one Jack Price. He's very, very good buddies with Jack Price. Um, not louder in terms of having a lot of bark, but just a strong, reliable um, anchor at the back that's been a leader and a veteran presence for the Rapids, Mark, and he is joined by another center back and a player who the Rapids are very excited about in his leadership in the form of DP, designated player center back Andreas Maxu, who joins the Rapids just a few weeks ago at time of recording a Danish defender out of Bromby who's coming to the Colorado Rapids, uh, reportedly marked for a transfer fee slightly less than 1 million euros, and he's coming in possibly to be the long-term replacement for Danny Wilson or we could see Robin Fraser move back to a back three that would include Wilson, Andreas Maxu, and then Lawless Bubakar or Keegan Rosenberry. If we really wanted to be pass happy, just pinging forty-yard balls out to our fullbacks and our wingers. With that, Mark, let's move on to our next question. What about some of those exciting offseason signings? Mark, is your favorite player the Rapids have signed Andreas Maxu? Who are the other signings, and how should we feel about them?
0: There's a new old player, Cole Bassett, who was. Uh, loaned to Finord, then loaned to Fortuna Sittard, then loaned back to the Colorado Rapids. And friends, I have made uh, two mistakes in trying to uh, say this out loud. And Matt's had to delete and, and re-edit this already twice because the process of selling and loaning is so darn confusing. Anyways, Cole Bassett uh, was born and raised in Colorado on the Front Range and is now back with the Colorado Rapids. Hopefully for good this time, no more loans or sales anytime soon. Um, The Colorado Rapids at the beginning of the transfer window uh, transferred Kevin Cabral, a French uh, wide midfielder uh, slash forward who was playing with LA Galaxy. Cabral is kind of uh, uh, an enigmatic player. He had a pretty disappointing stint with the LA Galaxy, although they signed him for a whole heck of a lot of money. Um, $1.6 million, if I'm correct. Um, the Rapids are uh, getting him for half that price. They're paying $825,000 of his salary for this year. Um, Cabral was a bit streaky. He's uh, extremely fast with the ball and good in the dribble. Um, he's not super great in finishing in the final third. We'll see if he can turn that around for this year. The Rapids also signed Alex Gersbach, an Australian left back um, to fill a hole that they lost when they sent Sam Vines off to Europe. He was sold, right, Matt? We did sell Sam Vines. We did not loan him. Um, The Rapids also picked up a player from Wolverhampton Wanderers in the uh, English Premier League named Connor Rowan. He's a midfielder. He's 24 years old. He signed through 2026 and he comes from the same team, that Colorado Rapids captain Jack Price comes from. Uh, Matt mentioned mentioned Brondby's Andreas Maxu. Um, He is 28 years old. He's supposed to anchor the back line as a center back. They're pretty excited about what he will offer in terms of defensive cover. Two two more players to mention. Calvin Harris uh, is a center forward who came from FC Cincinnati. He's 22 years old didn't play a lot of minutes last year he's a generation adidas player uh originally from england there's a lot of hope that perhaps he could be kind of a late spark off the bench when you need somebody or in the event that colorado rapids youngster darren yappie isn't quite ready to carry the mantle as a striker that maybe calvin harris can do it and finally the rapids have one other new player they picked up in the first round of the mls super draft for 2023 His name is Moise Bombito. He's a defender from somewhere in the uh, upper northeast of the United States. I forget which college he went to. Um, Bombito, it's unclear whether he's going to make much of a contribution this year or whether he'll probably be uh, mostly stationed with Rapids to the reserve team that belongs to a league unfortunately named MLS Next Pro. Those are all our newish players that we're all excited about. With that, we'll turn it over to the guy who did all the work to sign all those players, uh, and that is Colorado Rapids general manager, Porrick Smith. Matt, tell me about Porrick Smith. First of all, how do you spell Porrick? Why do you pronounce it Porrick? And how good is he, or not good is he, at his job?
1: Porick Smith is, Porrick is spelled P-A-D-R-E. A-I-G. Mark, uh, fun little thing that I will out myself here. Uh, the first time that I interviewed pork Smith, I could not get it right at any point during the interview, and I was so embarrassed through the whole process that I just called him Mr. Smith the rest of the <laughs> ten minutes that we were actually talking. This was so early into my time doing podcasting and doing interviews and being a member of the media in the American soccer space. It's not obvious to me that Porrick remembers this interview or remembers that it was me. I would prefer to Keep it that way. Pork. if you heard any of this, none of this is actually true. I completely made all of that up. Okay, so Mark, where's Pork originally from? He's originally from Ireland. He grew up, he played in um, the lower divisions in the academy level. I haven't gotten this actually confirmed, Mark. I know there were some knee injuries that happened. I don't know if that fully derailed his career or if he was, uh, or if he was not seen ultimately as being a viable prospect out there in Ireland. Um, he has a bachelor's degree um, from Dublin City University. His background is in finance. He worked for the uh, FAI, the Football Association of Ireland. And Mark, he was the first uh, head person that you have of a UEFA league that actually instituted a salary cap. There was a point where the Football League of Ireland actually had a salary cap rather than financial fair play. Or what we talked about earlier in the banter segment of this episode about Manchester City, where in Europe, for the most part, it's spend as much as you make rather than having universal control. Constraints That are applied to every single team. You know, this would be Manchester City limited to having the exact same transfer budget and the exact same wage budget as a team coming up from the championship. The Premier League would look very, very different. As a result, football in Ireland has looked very, very different. And thus, Mark made Pork Smith a very viable person coming over from working in and around UEFA to come into MLS and be very familiar with the uh, constraints that you have, learn those rules and then learn from his mistakes and everything. Borek showed up in 2015 working as the sporting director, and now his official and complete title is executive vice president and general manager. He works on side with the business VP that you have on the other side, Mark Wayne Brand. Uh, that might be an- another topic and another person for another show since we're talking about Poric Smith. So he's been the general manager, Mark, and I would say – it's been a long and patient road to getting to where the Rapids are right now, getting to where Pork Smith is the GM that we know and actually appreciate for the Colorado Rapids. He has made mistakes and he has learned from his mistakes. The club has done a massive overhaul, folks, in the now eight seasons that he's been a part of the club in terms of looking at analytics, how they go about scouting, where they go about scouting players, and then focusing on what they can get and doing that at a particular budget. They've moved away from scouting some of the read-tready leagues that you'll see around in Europe, particularly in and around the British Isles. And they've looked for a very specific player at a particular point in their career and at a particular valuation that they can able to get. Porik has been has worked very, very hard on that front and everything. He's built a very, very good culture. They focused a lot on character in addition to analytics and focused on bringing in good people who will work hard, who fit in the ethos of the Colorado Rapids, Mark. This idea and this aura around the club comes from from an op-ed that he and Wayne Brandt co-wrote that was posted to the Denver Post shortly after Pablo Masterini was fired from the Colorado Rapids in the 2017 season known as the Rapids o- op-ed. It effectively, folks, is the modern and current manifesto of the club of what they want to be, the types of players that they want to attract and how they want to build a club. And as one of Pork Smith's uh, mantras that you have, um, we want to become a consistent playoff team. We want to bring a second MLS cup back to Colorado. He is the brain trust that is behind that working with him on the business side, Wade Brandt. And then obviously Robin Fraser, who is executing that vision via the first team. And uh, maybe I'll throw this to you, Mark. Uh, we'll add an extra question because we've talked a little bit about Robin Frazier. I've talked a lot about uh, about Porrick Smith. I don't know that Wayne Brandt is as important as this next person. Mark, your academy expert. Who is Brian Crookham, and why should Rapids fans know who that is?
0: Oh, nice. This is question 10.5, Matt. Nice. Uh, Brian Crookham is the, I think, uh, not director of scouting, what do we call him, director of development, player development, um, and he is effectively the academy director. Now, an MLS academy is a youth club at a very high level with very highly specialized coaches Um, and also it is fully funded so it's free soccer for kids Um, the Colorado Rapids have a fully funded academy from the uh, age of 13 on up for boys Um, girls also have an academy but it is not funded so you have to pay for coaching Um, and that's because the Rapids don't have an NWSL women's professional soccer team Um, Crookham's job is to hire coaches, uh, identify talent, uh, make sure that the right players stay in the academy. Um, Academy structures are highly competitive. There are typically at every age level, no fewer than three soccer teams that play uh, travel tournaments against other teams around the state and across the country. There is a Rapids team called the Academy team, a team called Blue and a team called Burgundy, the larger uh, age levels sometimes have even a third color named team, either called white or yellow, depending on what our third uh, color uh, uh, jersey is. Matt, did you know that about the blue and the, and the Burgundy? Yes. You did. Um, and so uh, if a kid is having a really great year on the blue, maybe he'll get moved up to the academy team, and if an academy kid is really not getting it done or is having issues, um, they'll move him down. So players will sometimes, if they're really exceptional on the academy and they're old enough, they'll be invited to play with the senior team at practice. Um, And sometimes some of those players who are uh, getting regular run with the academy will be so impressive in training that the Rapids will offer them a professional contract. All of that is kind of Brian Crookham's doing. Um, He kind of manages all those players. He keeps an eye on players who've graduated from the academy and gone off to college. He keeps up with them to see what they're doing in their offseason, whether they're going to play over the summer for different teams in, say, MLS Next Pro or uh, the USL, which is the third or fourth division of American soccer, depending on what tier you're at and so on. He's just generally involved in making sure that players continue to develop and progress and are doing well, and are healthy, and are happy. All right. Uh, With that, I will take our final question, number 11. Lastly, let's talk about the coach or manager. Who is Robin Frazier, and do we like him? Well, I want Matt to chime in on this one, so I won't go too long. But Robin Frazier is a former Colorado Rapids player himself. He even gates back to before the Colorado Rapids in 1993, 94, and 95. I think in 94 and 95, not so much 93. He played with the A-League team, which was the the forerunner to Major League Soccer here in Colorado called um, the Colorado Foxes. They played on the infield of a dog racing track. That is still, you can still find it in Commerce City. It's not functioning as a dog racing track. It's just a giant empty field out in the middle of nowhere to the west on in Commerce City. Um, but Frazier is a wonderful uh, guy. He, uh, he had a, a very successful career um, as a player in Major League Soccer. He played, uh, he coached a little bit f- uh, at the highest level in MLS a few years ago for a team that no longer exists called Chivas USA. Um, After they folded, he went off to being an assistant at Toronto FC. And then shortly thereafter, after the previous manager for the Colorado Rapids was fired, they went on a search and found Robin Frazier. Frazier's pedigree and his style with the Colorado Rapids is to provide a much more flexible looking offense. They're not particularly offensive or defensive in nature. Um, They're very... Fluid, Um, the most signifying aspect of a a Robin Frazier attack or a way of playing is he really, really wants to move the ball around side to side and frustrate the defense into opening up a momentary lapse in their spacing so that you can drive right through them. He sometimes plays in little triangles down the wings. Um, He's very interested, Frazier is, in using width as an advantage. Um, and he's not particularly wedded to any one formation. The Rapids have played a lot of what's called the 3-4-3 formation under Frazier. Um, but there's also been times at which he's employed more of a traditional 5-3-2 or uh, 5 4 one even at times. So there have been a lot of different looks for Robin Frazier, and even when I threw out those numbers, it doesn't mean all that much to me, because I feel like during a game, he uses a lot of different flexible uh, methods in order to accomplish something um, that he wants to accomplish. Um, the last thing I'll say about Frazier is that the Rapids have not had that much success under him so far, um, they had two good seasons where they made the playoffs, but last season was pretty rough. They got bounced from the playoffs fairly early in both of those two seasons. Matt gave me a look like they haven't been successful. You're grading on a curve, Matt. He hasn't won the MLS Cup. He hasn't finished. He hasn't gotten to MLS Finals. He hasn't gotten to the MLS Semifinals. He hasn't won the Open Cup. Um, so he's been, I wouldn't say unsuccessful, but I wouldn't say he's been successful either. Matt, what do you think about Frazier before we wrap this thing up?
1: Robin Fraser is a steady hand, Mark. He's broken a number of records as far as head coach, as far as fastest... In- Um, you know, fastest to certain number of wins. Um, If you look at it going back to his appointment and everything there, you know, I think top five in MLS in terms of points gained going back to what the eight or nine games that were left in 2019 when he was ultimately appointed, he is a steady hand. He is a calm influence on the Rapids. He is a player's coach. He is all about culture. He has instilled that and embodied that on so many levels that goes back to his playing time that I think goes back to him being in a line with what the Rapids wanted as Porrick Smith and Wayne Brandt articulated in the Rapids op-ed. He's found ways to come up with creative solutions to very real and complicated problems given the club's financial limitations. That has come through tactical changes. That has come through culture and how he's implemented that. That has come through putting players slightly out of position and it working and being absolutely fantastic. He's been able to pivot. He has learned from his mistakes and he continues to improve as a head coach. The Colorado Rapids are in very good hands with Robin Fraser as their head coach. And whilst they only have currently two designated players in Kevin Cabral, Andreas Maxu, I would argue the Rapids have a designated player head coach for what he has been able to get out of this team, despite the financial limitations and the other things going on around them as a club. Mark, I could very easily see a path forward for Robin Frazier's with the Colorado Rapids for a, number of years and in many ways is statistically the best head coach in Colorado Rapids history. I think he can get there throughout the remainder of what's left on his current contract, which he signed an extension for in 2022. And I think the only thing that would really be missing from his resume, does he continue on this trajectory, is winning a major trophy for the Colorado Rapids.
0: Matt? This was a great show. I'm really glad you joined us. Uh, Listeners, if you enjoyed what we do, you can tune in to us every week or so here on uh, however you listen to this podcast. Um, If you'd like to read our written materials, you can catch Matt over at Burgundy Wave. You can catch me at Pittsburgh Soccer Now. You can also catch me uh, at holdingthehighline.substack.com. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials and how to send the show a message.
1: Yeah, so listeners follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi, at LWS Matt Pollard, and at rapids96podcast. Oh, I I don't know if we mentioned this, folks. Uh, The official hashtag for the Colorado Rapids on all social media platforms is rapids96, referring to 1996, the first year that they ended up playing. So we are rapids96podcast on... Twitter um, Mark just mentioned our sub stack obviously and if you want to get in touch with us you can also email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com and you can send us your questions that we will answer on the podcast or on the or on Twitter using the hashtag AskHTHL um, Mark I don't know if we want to mention this as well I guess HTHL 101 it's a triple entendre folks we'll let you figure that out <laughs> okay um, with that uh, without further ado if you liked this and if you have other questions general or or not. Uh, listeners, we try to be accessible to the Rapids community. We try to be super informative when there is a big soccer term that is brought up. We try to define that for people who are not as informed about soccer. We are nerds about this stuff. We try to be informative but not talk down to you. We do not see ourselves as soccer elitists. We are not gatekeepers toward this community as well. As well, We want as many people as possible in the soccer tent, in the American soccer tent, in the MLS tent, certainly in the Colorado Rapids its ten, literal or metaphorical out there on the you know in the parking lot south of DSG at the CU38 tailgate three hours before the game and everything and anything we can do to inform you to help you grow your fandom and everything we are willing to do that via email via Twitter social media and on this podcast by answering your various questions you could have regardless of how simple or complex they are on that note listeners we will see you next week peace